conifers and hardwoods. Say hello to your favorite angiosperms. Leap nimbly from fern frond to dewdrop. And try to remember the difference between chlorophyll and chloroform. Because it's time to talk toll to me. <laughs> I just woke up in a strange place. Where are my acorns? <laughs> Someone's been fondling my acorn. <laughs> Welcome back, friends, to Talk Tall to Me. I am Omen Said. And I am Nick McGill. And together we, we are, are Feckless, Feckless Moms. <laughs> and this is Talk Tall to Me, a mayday romp through the sleepy town of Prog Rock, in which Nick and I of the Podcasting Guild will make a wicker structure of Barlow branches, pilot high with glasscock greenery, and song by song, dance by dance, we shall parade past the Palmer Pub and cause mild havoc in the Evans Market Square. Refreshing ourselves with cold ale and beating our digital drums, we can, with your help, win the Mayday Prize from our local nobleman, Squire Anderson. That was all very... Very specific to all a particular will be Yeah, no, I know. Time, <laughs> I know. I'm excited. <laughs> Before we dive into the the sweet meat of today's episode, Nick, do we have any housekeeping to cover? I think we should dive a little bit more into some songs from the Wood Notes. Oh, I think, love I that! Think we've got some more more info about the album proper. And the the song itself coming up that we will be discussing today. So a, a quote from Ian about songs from the wood. Yeah. More than any album we've done, this is one where the band had more to do with the elements of the song. Martin Barr and Dee Palmer particularly had worked some material up that would fit right into a song and where the recording process had all the band involved. There was an exception mm. or two. Jack in the Green was me one Sunday after lunch in there alone, but the rest of it was all of us. I feel perhaps since the days of This Was or Stand Up, it had much more of a band vibe. It was good. And that is, that reconfirms the fact that, yes, in fact, Jack in the Green, the song we are about to talk about, is is all Ian. Musically, instrumentally, yep. everything. Vocally. Vocally. Sonically, psychically. Sonically. Yeah. Medically. Yeah. Medically, 100% Ian. Yeah. But that's, you know, as we go through this album, I think we should try to keep that in mind, that after this long progression, especially in the last couple of albums when they were in Monaco, mm -hmm. of of kind of a, a disassociation musically, as it were, or creatively between Ian and the band, now we have this, this reconnection. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think you can hear it in the music, but why don't we keep that in our in the back pocket of our brain pants for as we're listening to this album. See if we can, you know, find some specific specific experiences which support that theory. Sure. Yeah. The theory that we can hear it. Not the yes, it's it's a fact that that they were playing more together. Creatively. Yeah. I think I think the the returning back to the land idea the the kind of going back to the earth the grounding of 
the the themes and the the artists together in one unit yes it, it really helps that it really helped them to gel and we can see that it, that where the inspiration came from per, i mean through the whole album but this song in particular because ian was inspired by the book folklore myths and legends of britain which was given oh. to him by jethro tull's then manager joe lustig in 76 Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. According to, to Ian, the book, quote, certainly gave me thoughts about the elements of characters and stories that played out in my songwriting on the Songs from the Wood album, which then carried on over to the Heavy Horses album and even beyond that into the Stormwatch album. Yeah. And remember, he was, he had just moved out of the city. He was pouring right. over these books in an English farmhouse. By candlelight. By candlelight, probably. And he, in, in response to that, he says, Playful is a good descriptor, I think. It really sums up what the mood of the album was designed to be. It was mm-hmm. me having a little fun with traditions and myths and legends, all of which could be very twee. Mm-hmm. And then finally, a little bit about the process about recording this. It was recorded in less than a month. Oh, my. Less than four weeks in 76 at Morgan Studios. Anderson showed up with the bones of the album already laid out. He says, quote, I was mindful of how much time could be lost in the studio trying to wrestle ideas out of thin air. Yeah. And I was a penny-pinching Scott. (laughs) Proof that you've mentioned that at least two dozen times, and there we have it. Proof from his mouth. He continues, also, I hated having to go back into the same room day after day to work. I liked to be on the first stagecoach out of Dodge. (laughs) That being said, this is what, 77? Mm. Yeah, 77. So thinking, thinking about what's going on in 77, quote from Ian, I can remember coming out of Morgan each night and checking under Martin's car for bombs. What? Why? These were the days when the IRA's terrorism had extended itself to politicians and the military and the police were targets. There was a certain concern that people in the public eye, such as rock and pop stars, might be next on the list. Wow. Yes. That's crazy. Yes, the dark years. Yes, the 70s were were pretty intense uh, across Europe. I know that the 70s are... You know, obviously there's a, a different set of circumstances, but in Italy they refer to them as gliani di, di plombo, which means the the years of lead, both because they Ooh. were heavy and because there were lots of bullets in the air. Yeah. You know, it was a time when violence was brewing, political violence was brewing uh, in multiple places in Europe. So that's... Sure. That's that's crazy. Yeah. That's scary. They, that's crazy, they say, while well, they're trapped in their houses with everything <laughs> in the world is shut down. Fair enough. Each generation has its own thing, I guess, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Some generations have more than one thing, but yeah. Yeah. So this album, we've heard the titular track. We've heard songs from the wood so far. We're going into Jack and the Green now. Yeah. While I was editing songs from the wood and then thinking about this song that we're we're about to discuss, made me think more about our narrator, Ian as our narrator. Mm Mm-hmm. We haven't seen this narrator character since Minstrel, I would say. I feel like this is almost the same character as the the Minstrel describing things and 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 telling us stories. It, but it's it's more of a 
like a, a bucolic pastoral sense. Yeah. And and honestly, I I would venture to say even a much more positive story to be told than than what he tells us in Minstrel. Well, I think that it it almost goes back to the the energy or the perspective in a way that we would find in Aqualung. You know that mm. the the process of observing these characters around him, you know, observing the old man the old homeless man, uh, sure. uh, observing the the goings on in in Regent's Park and making up stories about them, I feel like it's a similar process, and there's a similar level of of delight there or emotional connection. Mm-hmm. But now, rather than observing city life in London, he is observing the the natural world and right. the writings on the natural world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just we've seen this progression of this. This bard, this minstrel, this narrator, yeah, just through his life, right? Yeah, we totally have. Whether Ian intended that or not, like that—that's how it has developed. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think that this song is going to be a great tie-in to some of the stuff that you brought into that amazing intro. Regarding regarding some of the folkloric traditions mm. that he's drawing from. So shall we dive into Jack and the Green? Absolutely. I, I definitely think it is time. Let us have a listen. Have you seen the Jack and the Green? So, Nick. Oh, goodness me. Omen. Two minutes long of Jack and the Green. Two minutes long of Ian Anderson. Two minutes long of, of just Ian one Sunday afternoon in the studio. Yeah. Apparently, uh, after a stiff cup of espresso, judging by that tambourine playing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He was inspired with that tambourine. <laughs> so let's talk about the music. So this is a very uh, unique track in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Ian, as we know, plays every single instrument on this track. So what are the instruments that are detectable to us? So we start out with some lovely acoustic, some flute. Yep. Mandolin comes in shortly after. Yes. We also get some electric guitar. Oh, is there electric? I missed that. I think. I think it's an electric. Okay. Or at least it's another acoustic track. Oh, that's possible. Yeah. I don't think he would want to uh, step on uh, poor Martin's toes there. It's possible. It's, maybe he did want to. <laughs> I didn't catch that. I will definitely listen again. But there, there are at least two separate guitar tracks. Yep. And not two voices, however. I think it's all just an echo. Hmm. Have you seen the Jack and the Queen? Maybe not. You know what? I don't want to confidently say that now that I think about it. You know what, Nick? Say it confidently. If you're wrong, who cares? All of our fans? There are not two voices. Um, that was as confident as I can get. That was great. We also have the bass. <laughs> yeah, bass comes in and tambourine right around the second verse. Yep. It's no fun being and and he also plays the drums. Oh, are there drums in there too? I was listening yeah. for those. Yeah, toward the second half of the song, maybe the last third of it, we get a little drum 
action coming in. Now, can we speak globally about this track sonically? Yes, I, I certainly hope that we can. I think that it's a good contrast for us to to observe how well the band plays together. And I'm not saying that Ian plays poorly on any of this. He plays, mm. you know, really exceptionally well in the instruments that he's familiar with and and super competently with the other ones. But you can tell that his bass playing is a little bit muddier than John Glasscock's. His yes. drumming isn't quite as crisp as Barrymore Barlow's. Okay. And so it's, I love that this track is on here because it does sound different. I remember the first time, uh, I remember the first time I listened to this album and after weeping and after my soul exploding in 30, in the 36 dimensions of, of life, I do, I remember observing like, oh, wait a minute, there's something different about that song. And then I looked yeah. at the liner notes and saw that it was just Ian, but you can hear the difference. You can. Dare I say it, if Tull was just Ian start to finish all along, I'd be okay with it. It's not a bad sound. It's very, very no. enjoyable. It's very warm, kind of surprisingly. Yeah. There is a respect and a love in this song in terms of the content and the the, the musicality, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. That that warmth translates through. And you know, maybe this was a good experience for him to try to to play all the different instruments that, you know on one track. And maybe it helped him gain an appreciation for what the band all brought as a as a unit together. Not that I think he disappreciated that before, but I mean, I you know I think it's a good experience for the listener, and I'm sure it was a good experience for Ian. I hope so. I wonder where it falls in the timeline of of the creation in that that under four weeks. Like, was this one of the first songs that they did? Was this kind of a tail end at, at the end? We've got room for another one. Right, right. Where where does it fall in terms of Ian experiencing this this process and the band coming together as a, a congealed unit? However, in that Earlier, we read in that quote, they said that he would leave the studio and then Dee and Martin would come up with stuff. So that's not really the band congealing. <laughs> now that I think about it, it's like Ian just stepping out for a smoke and then he lets the kids play. Well, I think it's that giving some of the creative control back to the bandmates probably brought the band together emotionally and experience wise rather than it being... You know, I think I get the sense that some of the earlier albums were very top down. This is what we're going to play. Go ahead, play it. Yes. And and so yeah. I think that opening up that creative process probably brought them together emotionally. And it sounds like he made a concerted effort to be more open to other people's ideas and 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 to, you know, provide a structure for it. As he said, you know, the skeleton of the album was already laid out. Yeah. But giving other people the opportunity to fill in some of that flesh. I'm sure relieved the pressure from him as well and, you know, made him a bit more relaxed. Yeah. But I suspect that this is a case, this song is a case of him having a very specific idea and, you know, really having it all clear in his head and and having the opportunity, 
you know, maybe maybe there was a little sort of a, a lag in the in the schedule. And he said, you know what? I'm just going to sit down and bang this out and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it, it turned out to be really good. Yeah. I, I genuinely wonder what what Ian got from the experience of, of everybody contributing more or or him him giving them the opportunity to contribute more. Well, I think that he says it in that quote that you read. I think that the album comes off as playful. And I think, you know, oftentimes you can kind of hear, you know, under the music, the spirit with which it was played. And I think that it must have been a very fun, playful environment. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, did did it did it make him want to do it more? Did it make him want to double down on on being the one in total control like it's hard to tell i suspect we will find out more about that as we head on to the next couple of albums yeah yeah hopefully there is is some document uh, opinion of ian's and maybe you know maybe this song was in part a reaction to like oh my gosh this is what it's like when other people have a creative say uh, let me make a little microcosm for myself where, right. I, where I have total control and, you know, give myself one little song where I have that space. Exactly. And which, and, you know, which like, great. Go for it. Sure. He 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 entered a, a, a frenzy and yeah. was inspired by the muses and 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 couldn't con- couldn't control himself. They were not allowed into the studio on Sunday, but he broke in and recorded right. this song. Let's talk a little bit about that frenzy. There are some really interesting and and for me hard to define musical qualities with this song i tried very hard to figure out what the time signature is and failed mm. miserably <laughs> i feel like most of this album may may end up stymieing you on that well there there is a lot of 7 8 in this album okay i don't know that this is one of them <laughs> i cannot count to 7 or 8 so we're in trouble one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One. Maybe. Maybe it's an eight. Who knows? There's probably a time signature. Maybe more than one. Who cares? What's math anyway? There are some lovely chord changes. Like like for the, the first bit, the the chord structure is pretty simple. And then we go into that that bridge with the Jack, do you never sleep? Mm, okay. That really brings a whole new layer of depth out of it, which is so gorgeous. Jack, do you never sleep? As the green spell deep in your heart. The chord structure sets itself up as being quite simple early on. Mm. And then when it busts out of it for Jack, do you never sleep? It, it It's like it reveals a whole layer of depth underneath it that you weren't aware of. It's really, I love the way it's composed. Is that just the addition of particular instruments? Is that a different sound? Or is it is it actually like technically, musically a, a drastic change in there? He 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 adds some chords, he changes the chord structure, mm. which opens up that beautiful space. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely has has a very definitive sound at that point. Yeah. Also the way that he's playing the flute is very much in line with some with this kind of old early music folky sound even though it's it's not you know he's not literally taking tunes from any ancient music 
he is playing. He's playing. I mean, and that's what, again, like, I think that's, it's so cool that he said that because I do think that this album and this song as well is very playful. It plays with the themes, it plays with the instruments, it plays with the audience in a way that's really delightful. Even when we get to the end and we have that unexpected quick out Mm -hmm. and the missile thrust is coming. Jack, turn out the light and it's gone. The first time you hear it, I mean, it totally caught me off guard. Yeah. But it's so satisfying now after hearing it for, for 20 years or so. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That folk flute that you were talking about, is that an emulation of a style you're saying? It's not like picking up an old folk tune, but is it a particular style of playing the flute in that manner? I think it is referring to a style. Yeah. I don't think that it's... Okay. I wouldn't even go so far as to say emulating, but I think that it's playing with the idea of it it's Mm. making an homage to it i think yeah it's it's certainly not rock flute no it's not jazz flute i mean it's it's rock flute by its pure existence in this song but it's right there there is a lighter airiness to it yeah right that i could see being played on a recorder or a wood flute or something like that and because it's not playing with some of those more modern musical forms it allows him to express something that I think is is much more true to himself, you know? This aspect of Ian was in there all along and just waiting to come out? I think so. I think so, too. I mean, if we look at the catalog up until this point, if Tull stopped there right before Songs from the Wood, it's not like you would be like, they're missing something. Mm. I mean, all of those albums, they did very well. Yeah. They inhabited the sound, they played what they knew, and they played it how they knew to play it. But you're right, there is something that feels more personal about this album and th- that folk style going forward. But is that just us being biased? Uh, well, certainly, probably, there is some element of that. But I also think that, you know, at this phase, having moved to the country, I think that does represent a real personal shift in all of their lives, especially for Ian, where maybe there was, you know, a bit of pressure taken off in terms of, like, like, contrast this with the theme of Small Cigar. Remember how we talked about Mm. the sort of, the desperation of feeling out of place and feeling like he had to sort of do these tricks at a party to make himself acceptable, and then when his tricks ran out, he was was irrelevant. This feels like the opposite. This feels like this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm, he's home. He's finally home. Yeah, I think so. And he has value just by virtue of of being there and and being a living entity in this exactly this perfect space or exactly. this this imperfect space for that matter. But being a living that his value comes from being a living entity rather than his value coming from you know how well he can perform in social situations. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. must have been a huge relief. Yeah, I mean, from everything we've we know about Ian, it feels like yes, he is finally going home. Yeah, where he ought to be. So let's maybe transition into the themes and the lyrics here. Sure, I just want to talk his voice really quick. Okay, this is one of the first times we hear this like really guttural, gravelly Ian voice. Hmm. Do you think, Nick, that he's playing with a more traditionally influenced 
folk or Celtic singing style? I don't know enough about those to confidently make that connection. Hmm. I I know in Songs from the Wood, the actual track, he does not sing like that. Uh. But going forward in a couple more tracks, he does. So I'm not sure what inspires that. If it's a change in who the narrator is, I'm not quite sure. But this is... This is the most affected voice of Ian, and honestly, it's it's one of my favorite Ian voices, followed closely behind by that that Mark Knopfler. I just completely destroyed my vocal cords voice yeah. that we get to eventually. But it's, I just think it's I think it's interesting. I'm I'm not sure if we're meant to pull anything out of it. I think that we should put a red pin on that point in the, on the wall in our crazy person. Uh, conspiracy theory, uh, Jethro Tull tracking wall. Yes, and we'll see where that thread leads. With pleasure. Yeah, yeah. I'll try to. I'll try to listen out for it, particularly in the tracks to come. So, have you seen the Jack in the Green with his long tail hanging down? Have you seen the Jack in the Green with his long tail hanging down? Omen. Yes. What is the Jack in the Green? Oh, what is the Jack in the Green? Well, I thought that I knew. The fact that you say that makes me doubt that I actually knew now. (laughs) Well, so my first thought was that it was one of the many British folklore figures of these kind of variants on green men you know i thought maybe it's maybe it's literally one of the you know like a different word for the green man right i also thought maybe it was a kind of name for puck from a midsummer night's dream who is you know one of these old ancient figures Mm -hmm. who they call robin goodfellow you know so all, all these creatures have different names and and i think that all of that is to a certain extent correct however there is a much more specific British tradition that I believe this is referring to. Okay. So, even today in England, you can see Jacks in the Green or Jack in the Greens. I'm not sure how you would pluralize that. I've actually heard him on on an introduction to this song, a live introduction to the song, refer to them as Jacks in the Green. Let me sit down for the next one, I think. There seem to be quite a large percentage of young American boys out there tonight, yeah? Long way from home, eh? Well, so are we. Gotta stick together. <laughs> right, here is a song which is, uh, reminds me of my homeland, anyway. Back, you see, in, in England's green and pleasant woodlands, we have these small elf-like characters who are charged with the grave responsibility of looking after all things that grow during the cold and dark winter months. Their names are Jacks in the Greens. They are plural, plural. Ready? Ah, David. David's back. Did you give it a good shake? Good. A one, two, three, two, two, three. Well, there you are. And it is a traditional May Day celebration element. Okay. So across the UK on May Day, which is, of course, the the ancient 
Fertility Spring Festival, also known as Beltane by the Pagans. Mm, which we will get into a little bit later in this album. Which we were in our youths. <laughs> also that. Some of us. <laughs> they will take a, a wicker structure and cover it with green and put a, a flower crown on the top. And someone will get inside the structure and dance around. And it looks like a big, tall, conical pile of leaves dancing down the street. Yeah, when you when you say cover it with green, you're like gre- greenery, like actual like leaves. Yes, and, cover it with yeah. leaves and greenery and vines and whatnot. Yeah. And then they make a very, you know, delightful flower crown at the top. Okay. And it becomes kind of a, a moving centerpiece of this May Day parade festival. Okay. And that character, that person in that green cone is referred to as the Jack in the Green? The whole thing is the Jack in the Green. The green cone itself is the Jack in the Green. Yes, and and the performance of it. Mm. The entity is a Jack in the Green. There's no separation of the of the of the person in the mask, if we can call it a mask, and the mask right. itself. It is one entity. Is is a, a Jack not a type of dance? So you are you are doing the Jack in the Green while you're wearing the green? Maybe? Like a dance move, a a, a uh, break it down, some, something mm. along those lines. I'm not sure. I mean, th- that is pure conjecture. My research did not indicate that. Okay. Also, the only dance that you can really do is sort of spinning. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a caper, I would say. Sure. A gamble. Apparently, the tradition originated with milkmaids in the 1600s who would wear flower garlands on May Day. Gotcha. During May Day celebrations. Okay. And over time, those garlands became more and more intricate until sometimes they were also featuring quantities of the household silver. Perhaps this was sort of a display of of the wealth of the family or or perhaps if they were unmarried, this was a an indication of their dowry, sort of a um, an advertisement mm. of okay. being available to marriage. Sure. And as it went, the tradition morphed through... Some of the guilds. Okay. So in a lot of these traditional entertainments, as we, of course, saw with, for instance, the Commedia dell'arte in Europe a couple centuries earlier, the guilds would often be in charge of putting on their own May Day celebration, their own their own celebration, whether it was May Day or, or another festival. So it's like each business having its own float in a parade. Yes. Okay. But, but better and more fun. Because right. it's because it's old. And yeah. old things are good, Nick. <laughs> that's like that's cheese. what I've learned. Cheese, wine, vinegar. Some old things are not good. Yeah. Like patriarchy. Yes. But anyway, as these as these guilds kind of took over this practice, they began to put more and more resources into it and, and mm. just like you're saying, like it became a, a float in a parade. Yeah. But it was more of a walking parade. And apparently there was an association with jacks in the green and chimney sweeps. Huh, okay. Because the Sweepers Guild, in the spring when this was taking place, were trying to drum up business because a lot of people in the spring were thinking less about their chimneys Hmm. because it was coming out of the heating season rather than going into the heating season. Sure. And so the sweepers were trying to draw attention to to themselves to remind people to... Give them money to sweep their chimneys. We're still here, yeah. We're still here. We're also drunk and covered in trash. (laughs) 
That's my favorite song that didn't make the Mary Poppins cut, but it's so good. (laughs) And because of the height of the Jack and the Green, Mm -hmm. it, like I said, kind of became a centerpiece. And around it would be all kinds of other performers, entertainments, musicians, dancers, Morris men, men dressed as women, you know, stilt walkers, and the various folk figures, including things like Robin Hood and Maid Marian, which, you know, kind of as figures found their way into mummer plays, and then some, you know, some other traditions, which are, which have their roots in, (laughs) in racism and othering. (laughs) Yeah. But, but that's, but so that is what the Jack in the Green is as a tradition in England. Okay. However, Nick. Oh my goodness. There's a however. Well, as we hear in the song, he is not referring to the traditional dancer, is he? It doesn't seem to be. I mean, is it is it referring to the dancer in terms of that's what the dancer and the character of the dancer just represents? I think that, yeah, I think to a certain extent that's exactly it. I think that Ian, in his incisive intellect... Has you know maybe has some fami- some familiarity with these May Day celebrations as they were, uh-huh. you know probably having a bit of a resurgence in the late seventies in England because it died out several times throughout history and then, sure. and then regained popularity. But I think that as he you know maybe was considering those modern, if we can say that, traditions, and uh-huh. also reading that book about English folklore. Sure, right. The thought must have come to him of, well, what is the impulse that convinces people in the spring to dress up in these ridiculous costumes and parade through the street. Is there not some underlying spiritual or native power that is inspiring these things? So it is, it's basically a a form of worship. I think that the thesis of the song is, is that he's created this character that whose job it is to preserve life through the winter. Right. And then, you know, because it's a May Day celebration that, that the tradition comes from, it is that kind of resurgence of the of spring and the resurgence of green. Yeah. I think that that's where he's drawing the connection. Yeah, I I like it. I think he's he's giving more character to the general feel of of this Jack in the Green. Like he's he's actually giving it he's giving him an origin story or a purpose. Exactly. Really, as opposed to just a generic like, oh, it's it's the Jack in the Green. Right. Oh, yeah. It's that thing that we do and where we go and get drunk on a Sunday. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's what the revel, that, that sort of revel has become, just like this kind of weird British time to go and have a party in the street and drink a, drink a few pints with your friends and beat a drum. Yeah. It's St. Patrick's Day in the States. Well, maybe not quite to that level, but yeah, yeah it's the same, <laughs> same kind of thing. You know, we've maybe, for, and this happens with a lot of holidays, we forget what the original purpose of it is. And I think that here Ian is playing a little bit of sort of retro archaeologist and saying, all right, well, where, where did this come from? What is the underlying force that inspires this? And I think here we have it. So it's not as, it's not as drastic a commentary as something like a Christmas song. Not at all. And that's what's so special about this album is he's not saying like, oh, you silly wankers with your green hats dancing through the streets. 
it's I want to also be a silly wanker or or I respect your I respect why you're doing it. I think it's it's wow. There is something so powerful in the force of life. That. You know, I think that part of it is just this amazement that life does come back. Yeah. And and significantly, you know, we're talking about a very, very specifically a May Day festival, a May Day celebration here. Right. And I think that Ian is sort of in this period in his life coming out of a long, dark winter of the soul. Mm, yeah. He is himself having a rebirth. And so he must be amazed that there was still green deep in his heart being brought out. Sure. He is blossoming anew. He is. Huh. I like that. So should we run through some of the uh, some of the specific imagery? Yeah, let's add some proof to our, our pudding here. Have you seen the Jack in the Green with his long tail hanging down? Have you seen the Jack in the Green with his long tail hanging down? Well, so then we have a little bit of a double image of like, you know, a, a little creature with a tail, but also, you know, possibly a reference to some of the, the streamers that are on these these costumes. Sure, right. He sits quietly under every tree in the folds of his velvet gown. He quietly sits under every tree in the folds of his velvet gown. So it's not he so it's not that he you know he's he's taking it from an individual who says, "Oh, he sits under this tree." Diddly dee. He is the all life force that sits in all green things. Is, as I said before, he's gone on record saying, this is not just one entity, there are multiples. Is this, this line, is this him saying that, is this a reference to all of them? Or is this saying that ultimately Jack in the Green is omnipresent? I, for me, it's, it's that one. Yeah. He can do more than one thing at once. Exactly. He is everywhere. Okay, I like it. Because oh, because because literally ed- anywhere you see green, he is there. Exactly. Yeah, I like it. And then he enumerates some of his different duties. And then we get into the season. Like you you were saying, the we get into the reference to the winter and Jack's role in that winter. Right. And for comparison, you know these the, the the idea of a a singular entity which is responsible for an infinite number of things. Uh-huh. If you go to Shakespeare, which we like to do, we, we do often. Yeah. If you look at, for instance, the way that Puck speaks about himself, you know, in Act Two, Scene One, I think, Puck is having a conversation with the fairy, and they chat a little bit about mm-hmm. um, the goings on. And the fairy describes some of her duties. I do wander everywhere, swifter than the moon's sphere, and I serve the fairy queen to do her orbs upon the green, the cowslips tall her pensioners be, and in their gold coat spots you see those be rubies, fairy favors. In those freckles live her favors. So she, her job is to go and put dewdrops in the flowers. Yeah, she's a dewdrop fairy, yeah. She's a dewdropper. Hey, I'm dewdropping here. 
And then, and then she says, wait a minute. Are you not Puck, who they call Robin Goodfellow? He says, thou speaks to right. I am that merry wonder of the night. I jest to Oberon and make him smile when I a fat and bean-fed horse beguile. He goes on to describe some of his duties, which are causing havoc. Yeah. Mischief. He's a mischief maker. Yeah, so there's this tradition in with within this this canon of folk creatures of like, what is your job? This is my job. What is your job? This is my job. Yeah, yeah, they all have a purpose. They've all been created yep. to do one thing, just like the Norse gods or the, the Grecian gods. Uh, one single god moves the sun over to the other side of the horizon. Right. That's it. That's their job. That's it. Yeah, and so for Jack in the Green... His job is to tap his cane upon the ground to signal the snowdrops it's time to grow. Then taps his cane upon the ground Signals the snowdrops it's time to grow And to carry the green flag all winter long. He wears the colors on the summer zone, yeah And carries the green flag all winter long yeah, so if it were not for him, all these plants would die and never come back after yeah. winter. Yeah, yeah we'd, exactly. We'd hit winter and then there'd be no spring. Jeez. That feels like this year, to be honest. But <laughs> but also, I do think it's important to you know remember that, that I think that there, he's not just literally talking about the yearly, the annual spring, but the, the spring of the soul. Sure. That we all go through dark times. And just because we go through dark times doesn't mean we're going to stay there forever because there is this life force which carries the the spark of green within us and it can resurge at any moment. Mm. The narrator Ian then puts it into a more a more modern, a more personal context because he's not just describing Jack in the Green. He's not just describing what he does and who he is, what he looks like, etc. He goes into do you never sleep? Does the green still run deep in your heart? Or yeah. will these changing times, motorways, power lines keep us apart? I don't think so. I saw some grass growing through the pavement today. Jack, do you never sleep? Does the green still run deep in your heart? Oh, oh. will these changing times, motorways, power lines keep us apart? Oh, oh. Well, I don't think so. That is my favorite line how, of the entire album. Oh my gosh, how beautiful, what a lovely sentiment, what a lovely just that is that is the mindset that I want to live my life by yeah. is see the nature where you can find it even if you can't live in the woods in a cabin, which is my personal ultimate goal. Yes, we know. See it where <laughs> <laughs> See, find it where you can, right? And enjoy it when you can. And and Jack doesn't stop. Jack won't stop. He'll be there whether you want him to or not. He'll be there. So he's gonna bust up your pavement. Take advantage of it, right? And appreciate it for what it is. You know, I also I want to go back a few lines to and kind of pull out something that that you quoted in saying, as you know, some some of the folk characters in England, some of these traditions can be a bit twee. Yes, right, right. And I think that he provides this wonderful antidote to that by not just saying like, oh, yes, he grows the flowers and he drops the dewdrops, but saying like, it's no fun being Jack in the Green. No place to yeah. dance, no time for song. It's no fun being Jack in the Green. No 
It's like, you think this is fun? This is hard work. <laughs> I haven't slept in years. Well, no, and 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 I think that deepens the meaning of it because it really is. It's like to be think about you know being responsible to make sure that every living thing grows. Yeah. Oh my god, full time job. <laughs> it's not that image of the fairy just prancing along and just like, here and there. Like it's he's he's working his butt off. He's working his little green tail off. His little his literal little tail off. Yeah, he's working real hard to do this for us. And maybe we should appreciate that. Maybe we should appreciate that. Absolutely. It's just a little note here. The rowan, the oak, and the holly tree are the charges left for him to groom. The rowan, the oak, and the holly tree are the charges left for him to groom. Those are, of course, sacred trees sure. to the ancient druids and the modern druids. Druids overall appreciate yeah, those yeah, trees. Yeah, the overall druids. Yeah. And those are all native English trees as well. Gotcha. Each blade of grass, whispers Jack in the green. Oh, mm. Jack, please help me through the winter night. Oh, my God, imagine. Each blade of grass, whispers Jack in the green. Yeah, when you hear the the susurrance of the breeze through tall field grass, it whispers, Jack in the green. Jack in the green, get over here. You're late for your 10.30 (laughs) cane tapping appointment. (laughs) But he's everywhere all at once. Yeah. Now, here's the most, here's the, the line that gave me the most difficulty and we are the berries on the t- on the holly tree. Oh, the missile thrush is coming. Jack, put out the light. Okay. Berries on a holly tree. Well, that's pretty evident. That's the fruit of the holly tree. We are the berries. However, the berries of the holly tree come out in the winter. Mm. They are bright red on a patch of green in a field of white. Often used to represent green in the winter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, used as, as holiday ornaments. The missile thrush. A bird that lives in the holly, I'm assuming. So, the missile thrush is a one of the largest thrush species across Europe. Okay. It is a migratory bird. Gotcha. So it goes south for the winter and it comes north in the warmer weather. And so that, as soon as I read that, I thought, well, perhaps what that line is saying is, the missile thrush is coming because it's spring. Gotcha. An indication of spring. But also, it's going to eat me because I'm a berry. And so, put out the light, make sure that he can't, that the missile thrush can't see to eat me. Huh. But upon reading further, and yeah. this is maybe reading a little bit too much into it, but apparently the range, the geographical range of the missile thrush has changed over the last century. Mm. And there okay. are competing theories as to why this might be. One possibility is that as agriculture changed in certain parts of the world, especially in England, where they went from a, where, you know, where, where gradually they went from a more intensive agricultural process and then some of those big farms have been abandoned 
that that has actually increased the range of the of the thrush and increased its natural habitat, and so it has been able to expand its range, maybe re-expand huh. its range from where what it used to be. Okay. So I wonder if there is some sense of, ah, the world is changing. The missile thrushes now occupy this many acres instead of this many acres. You know, does it represent some sort of change in the natural world? And therefore, you know, much like the, will these changing times motorways power lines, you know, is is there a sense of like, oh, yes, the world is changing and so Jack has to work ever harder. Huh. Yeah, just just to keep up. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. That's my best stab at it. Yeah. Or maybe that's just oh gosh, that's tough. Like is that just part of his job uh is protecting the the berries on the holly tree? I I mean, I kind of think so. It's it's sort of, you know, it's it's an expansion of you know, like, what is his job description? Well, every single blade of grass, he has to be like, you, grow, now. Also you. Yeah. Also you. Also you. Also... It's like he is responsible for every single berry. But, and and I'm, I'm getting a way too biologically analytical here. Please. The, the berries of the holly tree are actually super poisonous to nearly all animals, save the missile thrush. The point of a berry is to to spread your your genetic material. That's the missile true. thrush eats the berry, flies away, poops out the seed, another holly tree grows. It could be. So and then the other, you know, the fun thing that we have musically at the end is that the way that the music ends so abruptly mm-hmm. gives me the impression of being a berry that is suddenly swallowed by a bird. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see that. I, I it just to be honest, to me, the Jack put out the light, oh, the missile thrush is coming. That's maybe the missile thrush is a a natural predator of Jack and the Green. That's how I always interpret it is it's gonna eat Jack because he's oh, so yeah. small. I you know, I actually I used to think the same the same thing, just because it was sort of like I don't know, it just made sense. Yeah, it does. Another fun name for the missile thrush is the stormcock. Oh, interesting. Yes, which is also what you get if you play Stormwatch and Weathercock simultaneously on two different record players. Yes, in one in each ear. Secret song. Yeah, they all sync up. And you go and eat berries. And you go eat, eat berries. Nick, anything else that we want to say about Jack and the Green? I think we have covered it succinctly and i'm sure we will be corrected we have covered every blade of grass (laughs) well i just want to say on a personal note that this is one of those songs that has really informed my worldview yeah hearing it as a youth and then moving to the city and i do often find myself thinking whenever i'm walking around in the city and see a little sprig of grass growing up through the sidewalk in new york I literally think to myself, like, ah, yes, there is Jack in the Green at work. And it gives me a little bit of hope. I think it's human nature to anthropomorphize anything and everything. Absolutely. And I think that that is is an explanation as to why, 
I mean, that's an explanation to animism, believing that everything has a soul. That's an explanation to these mythical and mystical creatures and entities that do certain things in seasons and and suns and moons and and whatever. And I, I think we can step away from that and see it as as clinically scientifically like no i mean that's just life finds a way it's it's dr ian malcolm i'm simply saying that life uh finds a way but but i think there is some value in accepting it and embracing it fondly and naturally i think absolutely you are correct i and i i believe that by articulating some of these natural scientific processes in the form of an anthropomorphized creature is a way of sanctifying some of the preciousness of these biological processes. Yeah. There's a lot lost in the clinicism Mm. of classifying everything. Not that that is not an important thing, because by golly, it is. But we risk separating ourselves from that process, whereas... yeah. As we know from this song, Jack and the Green is also responsible for the resurgence of our souls after the the long, dark winter of getting broken up with by your first wife and having to record several albums in a mobile studio while the Grand Prix is racing past you. When we are the berries on the holly tree All the mess of the rashes coming, Jack, hold out the light Omen, what are we talking next week? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, Cup of Wonder? It is. Hey, I got it. Cup of Wonder. Next week, we're speaking about Cup of Wonder, which Mm -hmm. is uh, also a delightful freaking song. That it is. I I have a feeling we're not going to... We're not going to poo-poo any song off of this album. I'm looking at the list right now, and by golly, we are not going to poo-poo any song. (laughs) No, this is one of my all-time favorite albums that has ever been made on this planet. And until... Next week, if you want to anthropomorphize the process of writing us a five-star review, you can leave a biscuit out for five-star Jimmy, who will then leap onto your keyboard and dance out an extraordinary review for the Feckless Moms Talk to to Me podcast. Thank you, five-star Jimmy for everything that you do. Hey, I'm writing a five-star review here. (laughs) Until next week. Take that, Miss Tap Dancers. Lady, you said I'd never makes it. I am Nick McGill. I am the sprite known as Omen Said. We are the seasonal (laughs) depression that is... The Feckless Moms. And this is the May Day Festival that is Talk Tall to Me. Oh, God, my feet are killing me. Oh, my. Oh, can't believe we get two minutes for this cigarette break. Do you know I had a missile thrush bite my tail this morning? Oh my god. A missile thrush? You you have no idea. Listen, flower petal flower petal Frankie. One time last week, I was driving the blueberry truck down the oak branch, and an entire army 
of, uh, of caterpillars just derailed me. They wanted to talk. They wanted my money. They wanted to beat me up. They wanted my truck. I said, no. I got up my thistle thumper and whacked them. But, Petunia Pete, can I, can I talk to you real quick? Like, Yeah, hey, just give me one second. Hey, hey, flower over there. It's time for you to bloom, you dumb idiot. Yeah, well, I'm sorry about that. What was it? What is it, what is it, Frankie? Those daffodils are so dumb. So, oh my God. Have, have you noticed that the seasons are all messed up now? You know, it ain't like when we were kids, Frankie. Right? Our job used to be so easy. When my dad was driving the petunia buggy, right? he had the same days off every weeks. Right? He was always home at 5 o'clock for seed pie. <laughs> he, he had days off. I don't even get a day off. He had days off. This winter, we're into March already. We, oh, my God. I'm still telling flowers to, to grow. Do you know how many times I've written to the fairy folk and flower pusher union? And in bumpkiss, I gets nothing. They're, they're stretched just as thin as we are. You know what they tell me? You know what my boss told me on the phone yesterday? You'll never believe this. Oh, God. I, I can only imagine. He said, talk tall to me is a proud member of the Feckless Momes Audio Networks. The stones on that guy. Can you believe it? I... I'm, I'm, I'm gonna strike. Hey, what are you, are you wilting over there? What is this?